podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. The Two-Footed Podcast is brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from while keeping your data safe. So, as an example, if you are a UK expat and want access to BBC iPlayer to watch Match of the Day or ITV Hub or all four, but you get that message that says this content is not available in your location, a Liberty Shield VPN gets you around that block allows you to watch whatever you want on those services while also keeping your data safe. And it goes further than that. It allows you to open up Netflix's entire library by just changing your IP address. Liberty Shield is the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot with five-star ratings across the board. So go to libertyshield.com right now, use the code EPL25, and get either the hardware package or the software package. The hardware package is a router that you plug into your existing router. And any item you want to change the IP address on, be it your phone or your television, you connect that to the new Liberty Shield router. All other items can remain connected to your existing router. There's also a software package, which is instantly downloadable to your device, and you can get using straight away. Again, libertyshield.com, EPL25 for 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homework company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 for 10% off at checkout. And lastly, do remember to check out a tad predictable hosted by Tadiwa. That podcast is on this feed before every Premier League match week. And then the EPL Roundtable hosted by Kevin DeVries on its own EPL Roundtable feed. So just search EPL Roundtable in your podcast device. And that's out after every match week. Now, on with the show. What's good, boys and girls? Two-footed podcast. Today is Thursday. It is the 3rd of August. And this is my third attempt at recording this podcast because my lisp has been out of control. Because the more I think about it, the more I manifest it. So this is probably going to be a short pod. I'm just going to do a few questions, do the gossip and be done because it's really starting to annoy the life out of me at this point. Before we get into the questions, we do have some big news from the championship, and that is that Tom Brady, legendary NFL quarterback with the Patriots and then the Buccaneers, seven-time Super Bowl winner, has become a minority owner of Birmingham City. He has entered a partnership with the Blues' new owners, Knighthead Capital Management, LLC, And he will become chairman of a new advisory board at the club. Um, Tom Brady is arguably the greatest NFL player of all time. Certainly the most successful. Certainly the greatest quarterback of all time. And his brand and his... fame I suppose is the is the only word I can think of will bring a lot of eyes to Birmingham and it's clearly an ambitious plan for Birmingham who have been through years and years of horror 
with their last two owners, at least maybe three. And hopefully, hopefully this new ownership with Brady have a real plan in place for the club that leads them back to the top flight. Because I'd love to see Birmingham back in the top flight. I think it's good for the game when there are two teams from Birmingham in the Premier League. And I know we've got a bunch of other teams from the Midlands, but I, I think it's good for the city of Birmingham as well. Um, we're seeing more and more US stars buy into English clubs. Obviously, JJ Watt is a shareholder at Burn, uh, Burnley. Um, Michael B. Jordan, the actor, is a, a shareholder at Bournemouth. Jordan Spieth and Justin Thomas, the golfers, along with Russell Westbrook, the NBA player, are all minority stakeholders in Leeds United now. And this can only be good for the game, in my view, because it brings greater commercial opportunities for these clubs. And I think Brady will bring huge commercial opportunities for Birmingham City. I really do. I think that's probably what he's gotten involved to do. Tom Brady as a name, certainly stateside, has very few peers. Um, So I think it can only be good. We're going to stick in the uh, in the America, <laughs> in America for now. And Lionel Messi is at it once again. Uh, two more goals in his third game for Inter Miami. That brings him now, I think, to five goals and one assist in his three games. And he, he has very much turned things around for Inter Miami, who were dreadful under the management of Phil Neville, largely, I think, because Phil Neville is a dreadful manager. And League's Cup, these are not MLS games. So the Cruz Azul game the Atlanta United game and now the Orlando City game are not um, MLS games. Messi hasn't played an MLS game yet and won't until the 21st. But if you look at their form before he arrived, beaten 3-0 by St. Louis, drew 2-2 with DC, drew with Columbus, drew with Austin, hammered by Philly, beaten by New England. Uh, They did beat Birmingham Legion, who are a lower league team. They lost to DC United, lost to New York Red Bulls. They sit bottom of the Eastern Conference with 18 points from 22 games. They will not make the playoffs this season, uh, but they are at least turning things around, which is important. They're the second, they are the the worst team. The worst team in, in MLS. Uh, one point less than Colorado in the overall table of 29 teams. Um, but with Messi and the team, they have certainly improved. And that is back-to-back wins. Uh, sorry, it's three wins on the trot since Messi's arrival. So, I mean, that's what he was brought there to do, was to make this type of difference. So hopefully, uh, for him and for them, it carries on. But five goals and an assist in three games is um, is pretty special, even for Messi in a new league. And I think he's showing that he still has a, a decent amount left in the tank. I, I don't think he is as close to washed as many others who've gone to the MLS. I, I, I could see him doing three, maybe even four years there. I wouldn't be surprised if he plays in the next World Cup. I've said that before. Um He's been coy about it. He's kind of hinted that he mightn't. He's hinted that he might. But we'll see. Jordi Alba also made his uh, Miami debut last night, coming on in the 64th minute as a sub. Um, Obviously, Sergio Busquets is already there and playing very, very well. Right, questions. Um, So, 
Rick um, just mentioned regarding Matt Janssen, who I've mentioned a couple of times, he saw him play for Carlisle when he was about 17 and he stood out a mile with his awareness and his touch. And he, he was such a clever player, always finding good pockets of space between midfield and attack, linking things up. And when he went to Blackburn at first, when they had Duff on the left wing and David Dunn playing in midfield, Janssen dropping off was able to uh, to interplay with both of them. And Blackburn played some nice stuff. Um, with regards to what I said about Owen for Etu being the swap that was proposed, basically what happened here was Etu was at Mallorca. Real had a buyback clause on Etu. This is the summer of 2004, early summer. Benitez is not long in the door. Real have this buyback on Etu and want to bring him back to the club, but Etu isn't overly keen on going back to Real Madrid because he hadn't been treated all that well the first time he was there. But he was open to going back to Madrid to be rerouted somewhere else, as long as it was a Champions League calibre club. So Real's offer to us was that they would buy back Etu and basically give us Etu and we they would take Owen and it would be basically a straight swap. At that time, we still had hoped that we could re-sign Michael Owen and keep him. By the time Liverpool realised they were not going to be able to keep Michael Owen, Samuel Etu had been sold to Barcelona and Real and Mallorca basically split the fee. Um, so that's basically what happened there. Um, right, Rick M., is Shohei Otani better at his sport right now than any other sports person at theirs? So I've gotten back into watching baseball uh, this summer for the first time in a few years. And it's it's largely because of Otani. I'm a long-suffering Tampa Bay Rays fan. Um, I think I've explained why in the past. If not, it's the same reason that the Timberwolves are my NBA team, it's because when I first got into the sport, rather than be a glory hunter and pick the team that was winning everything, which at the time was the Yankees, and rather than doing the stereotypical Irish thing and going for the Red Sox, I decided to pick the worst team in the sport And that just happened to be the Tampa Bay Rays. Now, we've done all right in recent years. We're certainly much more of a respected franchise than we were for a long time. And I've gotten to see some great players uh, play for the Rays over the years, from Carl Crawford to Rocco Baldelli and, and on and on and on. And, you know, Carlos Peña was fantastic. Evan Longoria was fantastic for years. But there's talent there now that's unlike the talent we've had before. We've always had really good players, like when we had David Price and he was the best pitcher in baseball for a couple of years. There's always been a couple of standout players because the Rays have always been really good at drafting and there's been some misses in the draft, obviously, like when they drafted Beckham number one. That was a a poor choice. Um but in general, the Rays draft well and they develop players well. So there's always been young players that have come along and been really exciting. The issue for the Rays is that they were never really able to keep them. And Evan Longoria was probably the first that stayed longer than expected uh, before he would eventually move on to San Francisco. Um But now, now there are a couple of incredibly talented players with the Rays, and I'm enjoying watching them again. I really am enjoying watching them again. And Wander Franco might be the best player I've seen play for the Rays, um, which is great. Now, Back to Otani. For those that don't watch baseball, 
Shohei Otani is a Japanese player who plays as both a designated hitter and a pitcher for the LA Angels. Or if you're of my generation, the Anaheim Angels or the LA Angels in Anaheim, as they were known for a time. Otani has been in the major leagues now for, I want to say, five years. He's a three-time All-Star. He won the MVP a couple of years ago. He's finished high in the Cy Young, which is the award for the best pitcher. He was Rookie of the Year. He's won a Silver Slugger, and so on and so forth. He's been the Edgar Martinez Award winner twice, which is the the best designated hitter. Designated hitter means you don't play the outfield. So you don't field a position, but you you hit in the order when your turn comes around. It's it's very unusual in the modern game for a player to pitch and hit. Now, obviously in the National League for years where they didn't have the designated hitter rule, all pitchers had to hit but they would only hit on the day they were pitching. And they were generally an easy out. Otani, on the other hand, hits every day and pitches every f- fifth day. And what he do- what he's done is phenomenal. Like, his career has been insane, both in Japan and since coming across to the major leagues. And this year, he... Leads the major leagues in home runs, and he's one of the best pitchers in the major leagues. The last person to do what Otani is doing was Babe Ruth. He has even outstripped what Ruth did when Ruth did this. Now, Ruth will have, I think, more wins maybe than Otani does to this point. 94 and 46 as a pitcher in the major leagues. Otani is 37 and 19. But when Ruth was pitching, pitchers pitched more often than they do now. Babe Ruth is seen as the greatest baseball player of all time. And and there's really good reason why. He was a great, great pitcher. And he's obviously one of the greatest hitters of all time too. But for Otani to do this in the modern age is so unusual. 624 strikeouts. That's actually more than Ruth had. Uh, 2.52 ERA, which is higher than Root's. So, you know, Root has him there. Uh, Root will probably have him on batting average. He does, 3.42. But again, easier to hit back then than it is now. Pitchers are far more athletic now. The ball is thrown much, much faster. I think Otani's... Undoubtedly the best player in baseball. And I think he's got a real chance to win MVP and Cy Young in the same year. Now, that has been done before. If I'm not mistaken, Justin Verlander did it. Um, But he was winning MVP strictly as a pitcher. Yeah, in 2011, he won the Cy Young and the MVP. But he wasn't a hitter as well. So for Otani to do this potentially is historic. He's also a free agent at the end of this season, which he is going to get a ridiculous contract. He he might get 500 million. He might get 500 million. What's the biggest contract in baseball at the moment? His teammate Mike Trout got $426.5 million over 12 years. Uh, Mookie Betts got three sixty five over 12 years. These are dollars, remember, not euros, but still. Uh, Aaron Judge got three sixty over nine years. Manny Mercado got 
350 over 11. Francisco Lindor got 341 over 10. Bryce Harper, 13 years, 330 million. Uh, The Corey Seager contract, by the way, is obscene. Good player, but not that good. Um, Garrett Cole's the highest paid pitcher, nine years. So Garrett Cole's the highest paid pitcher, nine years, 324 million. So if we take that and the judge contract, which is kind of the, the biggest free, the Trout contract wasn't a free agent one. I don't think the Betts one was either. I don't think he got to free agency. Um, judge got nine years, 360 from the Yankees. And Cole got nine years, 324 also from the Yankees. And don't be surprised if the Yankees are one of the teams that come in big for Otani because that's kind of what the Yankees do. And I mean, they've also got um, Giancarlo Stanton there earning ludicrous money. Is he the best player across all sports? It's so hard. I mean, the best player in basketball right now is Nikola Jokic. Is Otani better at baseball than Jokic is at basketball? Because he doesn't field a position, I don't think he is. I think they're about the same. Because he doesn't field a position. He, he He's not a good defensive player as a fielder. Um, is he better than Mbappe? It's so hard. It really is so hard. I'm going to say no. I'm going to say no. He's not the best player in any sport. But I do think you could make an argument that the gap between him and number two is bigger than it is in, say, the NBA, where I think Giannis is quite close to Jokic, you've also got Joel Embiid in that mix. You've got Luca in that mix. You've got Steph still in that mix. Um, you've got Jason Tatum. You've got Devin Booker. They're, you know, not quite the same level, but they're very, very good. I, I think the gap, who's the second best player? Is it Mookie Betts? Trout, if not for the injuries, it'd probably be him. It's not Judge. Judge is a big, powerful hitter, but he's a poor outfield player. Or I think he is anyway. Um, yeah, I, I think the gap between him and number two is bigger than it is in other sports. Like, I don't think the gap in the NHL between Connor McDavid and number two is, is as big as it is from Otani to number two. I mean, you could argue Patrick Mahomes... You could argue Patrick Mahomes has a bigger gap from him to number two, to be fair. But then you could look at American football is very hard because players don't play offense and defense. Mahomes is very, very clearly the best offensive player. But you put him up against Aaron Donald or Bosa. uh, The gap is probably not as big as it is from Otani to number two. I'll say he's not the best across all sports. But I do think he's got the biggest gap from one to two of anybody right now. Um, AMK2889 saw a thread the other day asking, has anyone in the Premier League ever had a better first touch than Riyad Mahrez? Burkham, Suarez, Berbatov, Salah and Thierry Henry were the first five names that immediately came to mind. Mahrez does have a quality first touch, but certainly not the greatest in the league. I, I would go with Burkamp and Berbatov as the two best first touches the Premier League has ever had. Um, After them, Ryan Giggs had an outrageous first touch. Absolutely sensational. Could control the ball 
while running full speed and then arriving 65 yards from Beckham and would would control it to wherever he wanted, whether it was to kill it dead, to clutch it out of the air, or to knock it past in stride, past the fullback. Um, Robbie Fowler had an incredible first touch. Uh, Robbie Fowler, when the ball was pinged into him, off either foot, could just put it wherever he needed to be to get his shot away straight away which is such a rare skill. Matt Letissier had a, an incredible first touch. David Ginola. I mean, Ginola was just... You'd see keepers hoof the ball long to him and he'd just he'd like trap it by putting his foot on it. Not even trapping it by taking it out of the air. He'd let it bounce and just put his foot on it and kill it dead. Um, Bobby Perez had a great first touch. Zola... Oh, Zola. It might be Zola. It might be Gianfranco Zola. Eden Hazard was another great, a great first touch. Nani, to be fair to him, had an outrageous first touch. I think I'd go Zola as the best first touch in Premier League history. I think I'd go Zola. But there have been so many. Like, Riyad Mahrez is a very good player. Riyad Mahrez is not in the discussion for anything like this. He's not in the discussion. Doesn't have the best first touch. Certainly not one of the best wingers to play in the league. I know he won Footballer of the Year, but, you know, let's be fair. N'Golo Kante should have won clean sweep that year. Um, He's not the best African by a long shot. He's not even the best North African player to play in the league because Salah is levels above. Mares was very good for a couple of years. And other than that, he's been, you know, decent, but not much more than that. Um, but I'll go with Zola as as the one that is always... Cantona was another, Decanio. Jermaine Defoe had a great first touch. Michael Carrick had an incredible first touch. Alonso, Gerrard. I mean, Steven Gerrard's first touches, the stuff of legend. Same with Paul's goals. Do you know who had a very underrated first touch? And this is one you wouldn't necessarily think of, but Claude McAuley, his first touch was incredible. Like, he could intercept the ball, a long ball, and cushion it, over the head of an opponent and then catch it on the bounce and be away. McAuley had a sensational first touch. Zola and Giggs and Fowler. Zola, Giggs and Fowler are the two, the, the three rather, that I'll give you on top of the names you've given. Uh, Burkamp, Suarez, Berbatov, Salah and Henri. And I would argue Zola... I would argue Zola, Giggs and Fowler have better first touches than than Suarez, Salah and Henri. Uh, two questions from Isaac Gilding. Where should Joe Felix go? He needs to rescue his career. Uh, fully agree. Fully agree. The problem is Atleti want an incredible amount of money for him. Let me just get Jeff Felix up here for a second. Can we look at his contract situation? Um, contract until 2027. Four years left. He'll be 28 years of age when that... Co- well, he'll be pushing 28 years of age when that contract... He signed an eight-year deal when he joined. I think that the thought process was that Simeone would be gone. And I think it was quite close to him leaving at one point. But he seems entrenched again. And there's no future there for Felix. The issue for João Felix is he needs to play in a club that's going to build the team to his strengths. 
And I do wonder if PSG might be the club who'd be willing to do that because we've seen them willing to do that for other players. Neymar, Mbappe, Messi, obviously. But those are those are megastars. Felix is incredibly talented, but hasn't hasn't hit the heights that was expected from him. If we look at the Premier League, he doesn't fit City. He doesn't fit Arsenal. He doesn't fit United. Doesn't fit Newcastle. Now, Eddie Howe might be willing to change his shape a little bit to integrate Felix, but I doubt it. Uh, He doesn't fit Liverpool. Now, you could make it work at Liverpool, but I, I don't think it would happen. Um, doesn't fit Chelsea, and he's had that experience, and it didn't go very well. Postacoglu could make it work with him, because Postacoglu has played 4-2-3-1, and he has played a, a 4-4-2 that's a one-up, one-off type of situation. So Spurs might be a choice. Um, He's obviously been linked to Barca. Him all Lewandowski would be sensational, but I don't know that Xavi would be willing to play that. I think the club for him is Bayern. If they get Kane, João Felix off Harry Kane, with Musiala playing from the right and Leroy Sané on the left and a two-man midfield pairing of Kimmich plus the defensive midfielder. That could be the one. And I think playing in the Bundesliga would help him as well because the, the level of competition is a little bit lower. I think playing with Kane would help him because I think playing with Kane would help absolutely everybody. The other one would be Real if Carlo got his way because Carlo does like a front two. And we saw it last year where he played Rodrigo off Benzema and just played a two-man midfield. The problem now is Real have too many midfielders to do that. Now they could... I mean, they could go Valverde on the right, Vinicius on the left, Bellingham and Chouameni in central midfield, Felix off Mbappe if they got if they get him. Now that would be spectacular. You then move Camavinga to left back, or you could play Bellingham on the right, tucked in narrow, and Valverde at right back with Camavinga in central midfield. Camavinga in central midfield with Chiumeni is is quite exciting. And then you could play Alaba at left back with Militao and Rudiger as a centre back. I, I don't love Rudiger in that, but you know you're one you're one player short of having something spectacular because you've got a great goalkeeper. That would be a fun team. Seeing Zhao drop off and combine with Vinicius, combine with Jude. Giving Jude a lot of freedom from right back, from right side midfield to drive in field, knowing you've got Valverde to cover that whole flank, having the ability to to launch Valverde further forward and sit Camavinga and Chuameni in front of a back three of Militao on the right, Alaba on the left, and an improved centre back in the middle. Camavinga, Chouameni, Bellingham and Zhao behind Mbappe with Valverde wide right, Vinicius wide left. Now that would be exciting. That would be a lot of fun to watch. I'm going to say Real Madrid is where he should go. Um, but uh, Bayern might be a more realistic move. Um, second question. Your nostalgia pods have got me thinking about all things PL history, not just the football, though. The kits in the stadiums you've been talking about have been really interesting. I find them really interesting as well. I really do. 
with that in mind, which Premier League season had the best selection of stadiums and which had the best selection of kits? Look, from a, from a, a match-going point of view, there is no doubt that it's the best era for stadiums is now because the stadiums are more comfortable, there's more amenities, you've got a better view. You're like you go if you went to games at the old stadiums, you could be sat behind a pillar and you mightn't see two thirds of the pitch because you might be literally eight inches from said pillar. Um so the stadiums now are definitely the best. And if you look like the Emirates, it's I would always prefer hybrid. But the Emirates is a better stadium for a fan to go and watch a game. There's no doubt about that. I'll always have a soft spot for White Hart Lane, but there's no question the new Tottenham Stadium is a better place to go and watch football match. And it is spectacular. It's the best stadium in Europe. Um, the same thing goes for, like, again, I, 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 I would rather go to Main Road, but the, the Etihad is a better stadium. And so on and so forth. So I would say the best, the best, this lisp is really doing my head in. And I do apologize for it, but there's nothing I can do about it for the next couple of weeks. Um, the best sta- season for stadiums is probably this season coming up. I would say this season coming up is the best for stadiums. And if I could stop saying S words, the list would be less pronounced, but I can't. Uh, as for kits, oh, I... Hmm. I mean, the classic ones to me are, are the ones in the early 90s. The Arsenal kits, Adidas with JVC, United, Umbro with Sharp. Those are incredible. But I do think in recent years we've had some we've had some great kits. And I think what I will say is I think United have had really ugly kits now for probably ten years. I haven't liked any of them. But Arsenal in recent years have had really good kits since they went back to Adidas. Arsenal have had just outrageously good kits. And the 1920 Arsenal kit, to me, is the nicest kit of the Premier League era that any club has had. It is just stunning. The away one's not as good. The home one is is incredible. The 2021 Arsenal kit I wasn't a fan of. But it's still it's still nice. It's just not as nice. Um 21-22 was decent. I'm just pulling up others. Others from the 1920 season. Yeah, 1920. Let's have a look. 1920 Manchester United kids. That United kid isn't too bad. The Chevrolet logo is a little bit ugly, but I don't think it's as bad as the team viewer one, which is crap, to be honest. Um, Their away kit was quite nice that year. Liverpool had decent kits that year as well. Yeah, I quite like them. I did like the away kits. Uh, what did Chelsea do in 1920? Oh, I didn't like that. Still with the map of London, isn't it? It's kind of a cool concept. And the away kits are good. Chelsea's away kits that year were good. Spurs, I wonder, will it be a plain white shirt? Oh, look, it's a plain white shirt. Um, 
but the, yeah, there's something, there's something. Cla- the it's the AIA is just a horrendous logo to be putting on your kit. It really is big, stupid, plain letters. That's awful. That's awful. Do better. Do better with your logo. Uh, Man City in 1920. Yeah, they're not bad. They're not bad at all. Uh, what draft did Everton give us? Do you know what? That's not bad for an Everton kit. Um, Wolves. Yeah, the Wolves kit was nice that year. Genuinely was. Uh, we'll go West Ham. Oh, I didn't like that at all. The away was nice. The home was awful. Um, let's get some more. Leicester. What did Leicester have that year? Leicester's kicks tend to be fairly, fairly solid. Yeah, that Leicester kit is nice. The away one's kind of cool, and the black one was cool. I like the gold stripes on the Leicester one, so that was cool. Um, Sheffield United. I'm I'm feeling like it's 1920. If I'm if I'm honest, led by that Arsenal kit, like I said, it's not bad. The Sheffield United one. the The logo is ugly, so there's not much you can do about it. Uh, not the, the sponsor's logo, not their own. Um, again, with, with Burnley, all these betting companies just have shit logos. And yes, swearing is necessary. Uh, the away kit was a bit ugly, but the home one is is decent. Uh, Southampton. Yeah, Saints had had decent enough kits that year. Uh, Newcastle, I'm guessing not great. I don't mind that. I don't mind the uh, the wider stripes. The, again, the the betting logo is just horrific, though. Crystal Palace. Yeah, not bad, but again, it's a crap logo. Um, Brighton. That one's nice. The Brighton kit is lovely that year. Villa. It's just the Burnley kit, really, isn't it? Um, I do like it though. Again, it's just the stupid betting logos. Watford. It was nice. <clears throat> the half and half Watford kit was nice. The half black, half yellow. I did like that one. Um, Norwich. Yeah, it's not bad. It's not bad. The green that fades up into the yellow or yellow that fades down into the green, whichever way. And Bournemouth was the last one, I believe. They didn't look at. Yeah, it's it's fine. Again, it's a stupid betting logo, but yeah, all things considered, I'm going to go 1920 for the best um, for the best kits. Stadiums Let's see. I do think it's just, it's whatever season you're in because the stadiums are getting better. Emirates, it has to have Villa Park for me. It's one of the best stadiums in England. I really like Brentford's new stadium. Brighton Stadium is great. I I like Turf more because it's got that old school charm. I like Selhurst Park. It would have to be a season that has, has Selhurst Park. Craven Cottage is improving. Kenilworth Road is back. It's definitely this season. Kenilworth Road alone. Kenilworth Road alone makes it the best. It is brilliant. 
And like, there's a couple of stadiums that have to be there. And also, you know, we've got the city ground again because Forrester are obviously still in the league. And I really like that stadium. I like Bramall Lane. I've had enjoyable times at Bramall Lane. Um, I mean, I, I'd still prefer West Ham to be at Upton Park, but there's no doubt the London Stadium is a better stadium. Molyneux, yeah, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say it's this coming season. To be honest, a large part of that is Kenilworth Road. But if you look at the improvements that have been made around the way, and certain clubs just have to be able, like I'd love to have Coventry in the league, but it's not Highfield Road anymore. So this stadium wise, it wouldn't make a difference. I don't think the Rico Arena is much more than a, the usual stadium in a box. There's not many stadiums in a box here, which is important. There's a few that are copycats of other designs, but not the kind of generic stuff that you see. There's enough historical homes, Molyneux, City Ground, St. James's Park, Craven Cottage, Selhurst Park, Turf Moor, Dean Court for me to be happy. You've got big stadiums like the Emirates, Villa Park, Stamford Bridge, obviously, uh, Goodison, Anfield, City of Manchester, Old Trafford. Again, St. James's, the Tottenham Stadium, the London Stadium. You, you, you've got a kind of mix. Like you've got three stadiums over 60,000 and you've got two stadiums under 12,000. It's fantastic. Uh, so I'm going to say this coming season. Uh, I believe there are a couple more. So let me just find these. Uh, no. Right, here they are. So this one is from Rafi. Um, Question for the pod. I recently went down a rabbit hole related to the 50 plus one rule in the Bundesliga. The rule appeals to me for various philosophical reasons. I want to watch more Bundesliga and support a club. My question, which club do you feel is worthy of support? I know I can pick the Bayerns, the Dortmunds, the Orbeez, perhaps not RB as all Germans hate them, but yeah, thinking of it from a tactical philosophy, transfer policy, financial management, and community culture culture perspective. So the two I would say I would suggest to look at well, there's three. One would be Schalke, who'd be my outside sh- outside shout. Um but they're a mess, so maybe not. But but Schalke are a great club with fantastic history. Same as Hamburg, really. You could look at them as well. But the, the two I'd really look at, one is Bayer Leverkusen. They're brilliant to watch. They have a tremendous academy. They've got a really good manager now in Javi Alonso. They had a really good manager before that in Gerardo Sioni as well. Um, they recruit really well. They develop really well. There's always exciting players at Leverkusen. Always. The other is Werder Bremen. Now, Werder, the club that I've followed in the Bundesliga for, where are we now, 27 years since the 96 uh, Euros. My logic was much simpler. I loved Dieter Eltz and decided that that was the club I was going to support because of him. And there's been many trials and tribulations and little, well, there's been pockets of joy, um, but not not a huge amount. Uh, we have won titles. We have had fun. We've won some cups. We've had great players. We had also we had Diego. Um, but I would, I would recommend, <clears throat> for the good of your health, Bayer Leverkusen are a more fun bet. They're a great community club. They've got just good people involved. I, I would say Bayer Leverkusen or or Werder Bremen. Um, the 50 plus one is so appealing, but there's no way to do it in England, unfortunately, because 50 plus one was going from entire fan ownership to the split ownership of, you know, fans owning 50% plus one share and private entity owning the rest. It was a way to try and compete with the other major leagues because 
German football was was going bankrupt because fans can't own football clubs, not at the highest level. It will end in disaster. Look at the financial mess of the Spanish clubs. It's a, it's a shambles. But the 50 plus one, if you could find it, there's just there's no mechanism to do it in England. There's no way it'll ever happen. Um, but it is, a, it is a good model, and it works brilliantly for the Bundesliga now. Um, I would say, I would say, go with Bayer Leverkusen. That would be my, my I, I would. I'm only giving you Werder Bremen as a as a Werder Bremen fan, but they're not much fun to watch a lot of the time. Leverkusen, there's excitement around that club because of the immense players they have, the likes of Florian Wirtz, the likes of Patrick Schick, Adam Hozek, Amin Adli. Ezekiel Palacios, Jeremy Frimpong, Pierre Incapier, Edmund Topsapa. There's there's a lot of players there that are, are fun to watch. They've got a good philosophy. They're a good community club. I, I would say Werder are a better community club, but that's a little bit of biased again. A uh, bias again. So I, I would say, yeah, I'd say go Bayer Leverkusen, to be honest. Uh, last question then comes from Nick Turner. Which footballer would make the ultimate Batman? Ooh. Which footballer would make the ultimate Batman? That's a it's a really interesting one. I love Batman. For the record, I love Batman. I love the old Batman with Adam West. I love the original Batman films with Michael Keaton. Keaton. Um, I love... I even like the ones with Val Kilmer and George Clooney, even though I know they're not very good. I still love them. Still, I still watch them at least once a year. I love the... The Nolan trilogy, I think they're incredible. The third one's a disappointment, but it is what it is. Um, the character of Bane is phenomenal. I love the comic books. I, I The Batman was good, but it was unnecessarily long. And I even like Ben Affleck as Batman. And I'm probably in the very minority on that. So, you know, I do have a particular interest in this question. So we're looking for someone to fight crime who doesn't want the publicity for themselves, who has that aura about them. They have to be big enough and physical enough to make it believable. I mean, Virgil is the obvious answer, it feels like. You know, he's been happy enough to be in the background and allow far lesser, far less important players to get so much credit for what Liverpool have done in recent years when it's mostly been on him from a leadership point of view, from a ceiling-raising point of view. Alison Becker, I think, would make an awesome Batman because he's also a handsome man. And I think you have to be a handsome man to play Batman. But the right, just the right type of mentality as well, the right type of persona. He's quiet. He's unassuming. <clears throat> he's massive. See, so many great players are too interested in getting their own name out there. Yeah, they're about their own publicity. Roy Keane, for example, couldn't have been a Batman, not because he would have wanted the publicity, but because he was just overly psychotic. He's not listening to Commissioner Gordon. He's smacking the life out of Commissioner Gordon. Um, City. Rodri. Rodri would make a good Batman. I definitely think that's 
that's one you could look at. At Arsenal, I don't think there's a Batman there. Because courage is a big part of it, and I don't see it at Arsenal. So we're not going to go there. Uh, Manchester United. I mean, Bruno cries too much. Martinez is far too small. Um, Casemiro is a bit of a Batman. So we could we could say him. There's no one at the turn. There's definitely no one at Chelsea. I'm going to say Rodri, Allison, or Virgil. And I think I'll go with Allison because of the jawline. We'll go with Allison Becker. He is he is Batman. And now I'm going to take a break. And uh, when I come back, we'll just do the gossip and we'll be done. So I'll see you in a sec. Right, welcome back. So, um, we should, I suppose, drop in on the Women's World Cup very quickly. Uh, Brazil have been eliminated. And Martha, who's arguably the greatest women's football player of all time, has announced that this will be her last World Cup. She is 37 years of age. This was her sixth World Cup, which is a quite incredible achievement. Um, So, she is not going to play in any further World Cups. Right, let's go. Uh, Group A, Switzerland and Norway through. New Zealand, one of the hosts, out, along with the Philippines. Uh, Group B, Australia and Nigeria through. Canada and Ireland out. And unfortunately, another one of the all-time great women's players, Christine Sinclair, the greatest goal scorer in international footballing history, um, with 325 caps and 190 goals. She didn't manage to get her World Cup goal this time around. Uh, Also played in in six World Cups and scored in five. uh, And that will likely bring the end to her international career as well at the age of 40. Uh, Japan and Spain through in Group C. Zambia and Costa Rica go out. England and Denmark through in Group D. China and Haiti are out. The Netherlands and the United States go through in Group E. The United States looking less than stellar. Less than stellar. But Portugal and Vietnam go out of Group E. Um, France and Jamaica are through from Group F with Brazil and Panama getting knocked out. Sweden and South Africa through from Group G. Italy and Argentina are out. Colombia and Morocco through in Group H. The Germans, big surprise to see them go out. And South Korea. The Germans beat Morocco 6-0. 6-0. They should have cruised through. They lost to Colombia in a, on a very late goal. And then they couldn't beat South Korea, who were dreadful. So the Germans going out is the biggest surprise of all. So we have our round of 16 bracket. These games take place the 5th, the 6th, the 7th, and the 8th. So on the 5th, it's Switzerland versus Spain and Japan versus Norway. On the 6th, it's the Netherlands versus South Africa and Sweden versus the United States. On the 7th, we get Australia-Denmark. England, Nigeria, and on the 8th, it's France versus Morocco, Colombia versus Jamaica. All in all, shaping up to be um, to be a really good knockout stage. <clears throat> shame to lose the Germans, shame to lose Brazil. I think you'd still have to make the US the favourites, even if they haven't performed as expected so far. But the Netherlands look very dangerous. France look very, very good. And obviously England are an exceptionally good team. So 
hard to know yet. We've got England, France could meet in the semi-final, and the Netherlands, USA could meet in the other semi-final. I think that would be the the final four the neutrals would want. Uh, what else do we have? Manuel Lanzini and Lucas Mora have both agreed deals to return to South America to their boyhood clubs. Lanzini is going back to River Plate and Mora has joined Sao Paulo. Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain is considering a move to Besiktas, who've offered him a contract as a free agent. Uh, Gabriel Jesus is set to miss the start of the season after knee surgery, which is a huge blow for Arsenal because he is he is vital to how they play. And obviously when they when they lost him last season, it was a big blow. So I think Eddie Nketiah is going to have to step up. But I also think they might just keep following Balogun now. I think that might be the move, is that they keep Balogun at least till, till January. Um just to have that extra option in there. I think that's it for the news. Um, oh, Man City agreed a £77 million fee for Josco Gvardiol with Leipzig yesterday. Sheffield United have signed Austin Trusty from Arsenal. And the last thing I wanted to mention before I go on to the gossip is an article by Aaron Ramsdale in the Players' Tribune. I think it's called Shut Up Ramsdale. It's obviously self-authored. It's really, really good. It's really, really important. Give it a read. And just consider it. Consider it. Really, really good piece. I've got a different view on Aaron Ramsdale now than I had before I read it. Um, Right. Paris Saint-Germain. Paris Saint-Germain striker Kylian Mbappe has told Chelsea he would be open to a one-year deal if he can join Real Madrid on a free next summer. Yeah, I don't think Chelsea are doing that. Manchester United want Romeo Lavia after Liverpool had a bid rejected. Uh, unfortunately, it's not the best of sources for that news if you're a United fan. Um, Rasmus Hoysland's signing for Man United could be delayed until the weekend after he arrived in Manchester later than planned on Tuesday. I'm not sure why that would be cause for delay. It shouldn't take more than... 24 hours to get the medical wrapped up. Personal terms apparently already agreed. That should be announced today, really, if he arrived on Tuesday. Uh, Harry Kane could give up a large part of his Tottenham salary to push through a move to Bayern. I'm not sure what that's meant to mean. Tottenham have agreed personal terms at Mickey van der Veen. I, I believe they agreed them months ago. Or weeks ago, rather. Uh, Tottenham are looking to finalise the sale of Pierre-Emile Hoisberg to Atletico Madrid. Inter Milan are interested in Takahiro Tomiyasu. Wouldn't be surprised if he was interested in that move as well. He'd fit really well on the right side of their back three. Barcelona are in talks with Man City over a move for João Cancelo. Manchester United have opened talks with Real Sociedad over the sale of Danny of Donny Van de Beek, who would help fund the move for Amrabat. Um, I could see Donny Van de Beek doing very well in La Liga. And I think it's about time he got himself out of there and went on and had a career elsewhere. Chelsea faced competition for Moises Caicedo. An unidentified club has made a bid higher than Chelsea's 80 million. Uh, No word on who that club is yet, but we've had reports from Liverpool journalists that it's not Liverpool. It's not United. It's definitely not Arsenal. So is it from abroad? Is it Bayern? Could Bayern afford him? And Harry Kane? Probably not. Could it be PSG? I mean, it's unlikely, but him and Ugart in the middle would be monstrous. 
Uh, Chelsea will make an improved offer for Caicedo, who is valued at close to 100 million. No, he's valued at 100 million. They want Rice money and they're right to want it because he's a better player. Aston Villa want Tyler Adams and are willing to meet his release clause. I think that'd be a very good signing for Villa. West Ham are looking at alternatives to James Ward-Prowse. West Ham have wasted this window looking at Dross. Al Nazir will pay thirteen million for Clement Longley, who's also wanted by Tottenham. He's not wanted by Tottenham. If Tottenham wanted him, they'd have signed him by now. Uh, Luton have agreed a fee of two point five million plus add-ons for Blackburn's thirty-year-old Belgian keeper Thomas Kaminsky. Decent signing. Uh, Inter Milan will raise their bid for Gianluca Scamacca to $21.5 million. I think it's probably going to take a bit more than that to get him. Willian has received an offer from Al-Shabaab two weeks after agreeing a one-year contract with Fulham, so he might try and get himself out of that Fulham contract. Al-Shabaab, I don't know how much how much money they'll have. They're certainly not one of the um, the big four. Bournemouth are in advance talks and set to pip Wolves to the signing of Alex Scott. Hopefully, that's true. I'd love to see Alex Scott in the Premier League. Everton are looking at Camel Dean Suleimana as an alternative to Wilfred Nanto. It's football insider, so probably trash. Besiktas are close to signing Nicolas Pepe. I assume it's a free transfer. Nottingham Forest and West Ham are interested in Hugo Ekatiki, the PSG striker. He's had a bit of a tough time there. Galatasaray are still interested in Fred. They're also obviously interested in Tangai and Nobelli, so interested to see if they can get one or both of them in. And that's it. That's all I have today, folks. Thank you as always, and I will see you Lisbon all tomorrow. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.